What's up, Zion? It's so good to be able to speak with you again, even though I can't see you personally. I want to say that I miss you guys so much. Um, I know this pandemic has been so hard for all of us, and some of us have been putting on a few pounds. You might have noticed that I put on a few pounds myself during quarantine. Um, so some of us have been nurturing food babies while we're at home, but this is uh, an actual baby. Uh, this is my daughter. She should be making her appearance in April. So she's gonna be joining us today. I hope she's not gonna be a distraction. Uh, maybe I'll just cover her up. But hopefully just take this as an encouragement that whether we are pregnant or single, married or whatever season of life we're in, that we serve the Lord. Um, but that's a sermon for another time. So with that said, today we're continuing our series on Colossians. Um, why don't we pray together right before we start? Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your scriptures that were written down so long ago. Lord, we thank you for your apostles. We thank you for Paul. And Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds so that we may be able to hear what it is that you desire to speak to us today. Lord, we pray that you would convict us, encourage us, correct us if need be. Lord, we thank you that you in your Holy, in you in your Holy Spirit teaches us and reveals things that we need to know. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we study your word together. Thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so have you guys ever had a mentor or maybe an older person that you looked up to and you would go to for practical advice? Uh, but this mentor, you know, their personality, they just love to talk a lot. They love to talk and you might ask them a simple question like, hey, how do I get this girl to like me back? How do I get this guy to like me back? And they give you this long-winded answer. And it just goes on and they make references to other things and they go on tangents. Maybe they'll tell a story and you're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. If you know someone like that, you know, sometimes I think reading Paul's letters can feel that way. When he writes his letters, if you've ever read his letters, they are like run on sentences, they make references to other things that's, that's different than what he initially started off talking about, and we can get discouraged by that. But you know, there's a reason why we go to these mentors, right? There's a reason why we would go to this person, this hypothetical person for advice. It's because they're so full of wisdom. They're overflowing with this wisdom and knowledge that they just can't answer your question in a simple way. They have to add on to it. And Paul is like this. So these past few weeks, our brothers have done such an amazing job just parsing out Colossians for us, parsing out Paul's letters to the Colossians for us, breaking it down. And today's passage, Paul is in typical Paul style, also a bit hard to understand. So he is going to be talking about his ministry. Sounds pretty straightforward, right? But he's not gonna stay on that topic. He's gonna start off talking about how he feels about his ministry and his experience with his ministry. And then he's gonna segue into some theology, some wisdom about the gospel. And then after he's done with that, he's gonna segue back, uh, back into talking about specifics of his ministry. So you can kind of think of it as like a sandwich. 
You know, side note, I had my first chopped cheese recently. If you've never had a chopped cheese, you can go across the street from Blend, go to the deli and order, it's really good. Um, but yeah, think of it as a sandwich today and that'll help us follow along with the passage. Um, so let's get started. Why don't you guys open your Bibles, turn on your phones. I know your phones are on. <laughs> switch, uh, switch your phones to the Bible app and turn with me to Colossians chapter one, verse 24. I'll give you a sec to do that. Colossians chapter one, verse 24. If you struggle with the epistles, with Paul's letters and the order of them, if you get kind of lost, you could remember this acronym. It's God eats popcorn. You've got to separate the pop and the corn. But it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. So hopefully you guys have made it there. I'm going to read for us. I'm reading from the ESV version, wait, the ES English Standard Version. Uh, you guys ready? So Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in, within me. So the first thing Paul says is that he rejoices in his sufferings. Why? Because in my translation, it might be different in yours, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church. Now that, that is super confusing. <laughs> What does that mean? He's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And the word affliction is just another word for distress. So what, what is Paul talking What's lacking in Christ's distress that he has to fill up? Now we know that Paul is not saying that the work that Jesus did, the work of redemption from sin that he did on the cross, he's not saying that wasn't done. We know that because a few verses earlier, David preached on this last week. Uh, he said, Paul wrote, Christ has reconciled us to God by his death. He's made peace by his blood. So that's all past tense. We know that work is finished. So what's lacking then? What's Paul talking about? What, what's missing? So what's not finished is the suffering that Christ endured. See, the affliction the distress, the oppression that Jesus endured is going to continue onto the people who continue what he began, onto the church. See, suffering accompanies the church and it's going to accompany her until the day that Jesus returns. Now that's a very, very difficult point for a lot of us because we don't 
preach about suffering, honestly. Like a lot of us come from traditions where it's all about victory. You know, we have victory, we have overcome. And that is true. That is true. We have victory over sin. The chains that we had are broken. Spiritually, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. If you are a Christian, you have salvation. That is secure. So that is true. But just because we have that in the physical realm, the church will continue to be afflicted. And this should not surprise us. This should not surprise us. In Romans, Paul wrote to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 17. Paul writes that the Romans, they are children of God and heirs with Christ. Yes, provided that they suffer with him, that they may be glorified with him. It's like, whoa, wait, what? What? I didn't know this walk with Christ was going to involve suffering. Why are we surprised when Jesus calls his first disciples? What does he tell them? He tells them to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. What do we think that means? Are they just picking up these small crosses, hang it up in their walls for decoration? No. They're carrying their own crosses because they're following him right to the point of death. It was always clear that those who wanted to follow Christ were going to share the blessings that he offered, but also endure the suffering that he went through. So Paul is saying he's filling up this, what is lacking. He's filling up all this suffering that, is, that the church is going to go through. And the Greek word translated as fill up, it's not like fill up like we're filled with the Holy Spirit filled up. It's a very utilitarian verb. It just means like, um, it means more like supplement. Kind of like, you know, you'll take vitamins to supplement your nutrition because you've been eating McDonald's during uh, quarantine. Um, it's supplement. And another analogy is like, let's say a bunch of you guys or a bunch of us where there's a hole in the road and we have to fill up that hole. And the guy before you goes and he fills up a bunch and he's exhausted now. So now it's your turn. It's your turn to fill up. And that's what Paul means when he said he's filling up what's lacking. He's filling up that suffering. It means he's, he's taking on his turn after Christ. And he's happy to do this because it's for the sake of the church. In other words, Paul's saying, I am glad to take these beatings so that you don't have to. Now, this is kind of crazy, right? This is kind of crazy talk. You know, sometimes I read Paul and I'm like, I love your passion, but you are crazy. Why would you want to suffer? Why would you want to suffer for Christ, for the gospel, for the church? Why would you rejoice in this? But as I thought about it, you know, we suffer a lot for things that we think are worth it. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're a parent and you hate your job. You hate it. Every day you go in, you hate your boss, you hate your coworkers, you hate the work, you hate the commute, because this is New York and the commute sucks. Uh, you, hate, you hate it. But you go home and you look at your little girl and you look at your family and you, you feel like, nah, this is worth it. This is worth it. I'm suffering every day, but I'm happy. I'm happy because my little girl, she can get braces, she can get the, the toys she wants, she can have her birthday party with Elsa. Like these are things that we do because we think it's worth it. 
as another example, you know, this pandemic, we're wearing masks, we're social distancing, we're isolating, we can't gather together anymore as a large group. And a lot of us are suffering. I hate masks, but I'll wear it. Why? Because it's worth it. Because we're protecting those who are vulnerable around us, right? You know, we've already lost people that we love. We lost people at Zion. Uh, Dom, rest in glory, we will see you soon. Um, but we continue, we continue suffering this way because it's better than all these people that we love getting sick. You know, Paul is rejoicing in this suffering because it's worth it. Sounds a lot like Jesus. So Hebrews 12:2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. So here's the cross. Here is the joy that Jesus is looking at. And Hebrews says he is seated at the right hand of God. You know, if we know what the end goal is, that we will be with Christ. If you know there's a million dollars at the end of this scavenger hunt, obstacle course, like it might be hard, but you're looking at that goal. Now, verse 25, Paul says that he was made this minister of the church by the stewardship of God. Or, you know, stewardship of God is kind of clunky. It's just God's plan. It's God's arrangement, God's plan to ordain Paul for this work. And he says his work is to make the word of God fully known. Literally, it translates into Paul's work is to fulfill the word of God. For the word of God to be fulfilled in all of its intention. Now, what does that mean? Isaiah in the book, uh, in the book Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. This is Paul's role, to make sure this word goes out and fulfills the purpose that God had intended for him. What is this word? What is this word? Now, this is the part where we get to the chopped cheese. This is the part where Paul segues into some theology, some wisdom. In verse 26, he talks about this mystery that had been hidden for generations, but now has been revealed. What is he talking about? So the word is the revelation of this mystery that was hidden. And this revelation is that the Messiah, the Christ, has come to rescue all people, not just Jews. He doesn't get into specifics here. The, the letter that he writes to the Ephesians is very similar to Colossians. If you struggle with understanding either of those letters, read the other one. In Ephesians 3, verse, chapter 3, verse 6, he explains it so clearly. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, if you were a first century Jew at that time, hearing this idea, your mind would have been blown. Like, blown. Like, what? Non-Jews? Non-Jews are also getting salvation the way we got salvation? Now, it doesn't mean, you know, the Hebrew scriptures 
alluded to this all along. You know, when God calls Abraham, the father of the Jews, the father of Israel, uh, he tells him that his offspring was going to be a blessing to all nations. So from the very beginning, God's eye was on the whole world, was redeeming the whole world. When the nation of Israel was formed, they knew from their scriptures, they knew from their prophets that they were to make God known amongst all the pagan nations. All the, I mean, they didn't do a great job, but amongst all the, all the nations that were worshiping idols, that was their role. But this was something different. This revelation is, it doesn't jive with what they knew. So I'll give you an example. It's kind of like you're an only child. You've been an only child your whole life. You've received all the love from your mom and dad. You get all the toys you want. You get whatever food you want. You get everything. And then all of a sudden, there's this news that someone's going to be joining your family. You're getting a little sister or brother, and they're going to be sharing your toys. They're going to be eating your food. It's, they're going to be part of the family just like you. And then it's like, whoa, hold on, hold on, wait. You know, you, you might understand. No, I know, I know my parents love my cousins. I know we hang out with our neighbor's kids. You know, sometimes they come over for dinner. But this is something different. This is something different. You're saying this person's going to be equal to me in the family. You know, as a side note, they say that theology isn't practical. But, you know, if my son understood this theology, it'll be pretty easy for him come April when his sister shows up. You know, I'll just be like, you know, Abraham, it's just like when the Gentiles join the Jews in God's family. And he'll be like, oh, I get it, I get it. Um, so you gotta, you gotta teach your kids, parents. You gotta teach your kids. The mystery of my belly is gonna be revealed. All right, let's come back, let's come back. So, so what good is this? What good is this news to us? You know, we're not first century Jews. We're not deluded only children who are like, oh my gosh, non-Jews are also part of the kingdom. Well, the fact that this revelation came out is why Paul, the apostles, the early Christians, all of them went out to fulfill this word and make it known. And because of their ministry and because of their work, that's the reason why we Gentiles, I don't think we have ethnic Jews that come to Zion, but pretty sure we're all Gentiles, why we have been able to receive the blessing of Christ and receive salvation through him today. But you might say to me like, so what? Why would we become Christians? You just told me that the church is going to suffer. And that's true. We have signed up for a life of suffering. We have signed up for persecution. This church now made up of Jews and Chinese and Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and white European mixes. We miss you, Taylor. Um, <laughs> we will endure suffering. We do get that. But more significantly, more eternally, see, the suffering is temporary. Remember how we talked about how Jesus was looking at that joy? Here's the cross. There's the joy. The suffering in this time is temporary. What is eternal? Paul goes on to say, verse 27, that God chose to make known how great, 
how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So this, this mystery comes with riches. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, the riches of this mystery that Christ is offered to all people is that when they become a disciple, they become united with God. When we become Christians, something happens to us spiritually where we become united with God. Now that's really abstract, so I'm gonna give you another analogy. It's kinda of like you are drowning. You are drowning and you reach out your hand and God comes down and he grabs you and he's got you and you are united with him and he's not gonna let you go, he's got you. Even if you are faithless, he will be faithful and he's gonna pull you out. That's what it means to be united with God. You are one with him. Paul explains this, Ephesians 1.15. You, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God has chosen to live in us when we become Christians. For the Romans, Paul wrote, the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the hope of glory. This is the riches. It's not just some cool news that, oh, God loves the world. No, it means that because of God's plan, you can be saved because Christ will come and dwell in you. Now in the, these last two verses, Paul's gonna circle back. Now we're back to talking about his ministry. He says, him we proclaim, so that's Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So there's a couple of verbs here. There's a couple of tasks that Paul and the apostles have been doing. Uh, they've been evangelizing, proclaiming Christ. Uh, they've been warning people of the consequences of their sin. And they've been teaching them with all wisdom. And to what end? Why are they doing all this stuff? They're doing it so that they could present everyone mature in Christ. And that's a significant point. See, Paul is not interested simply in converting people. He's not going around handing people a tract, praying with them for five minutes, you know, getting them to say they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, and then peace out, see you in heaven. Paul is not doing that. Paul is very busy making disciples, which is exactly what Jesus called his followers to do. If you remember the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, he says, make disciples of all nations or make disciples of all people groups, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. He's not interested in someone going up to the altar when they're seven and, uh, and that's it. And that's, that's the end of the story. He's also not interested in people going to church for 20 years and thinking their salvation is secure, but they haven't grown, they haven't grown up. They haven't grown in maturity. And that's something that I want us to take away from Paul's writing 
uh, from Paul's passage today, that we as the church must make sure that we are helping each other mature, that we are helping each other grow. A disciple is not just someone who goes to church. A disciple is someone who is maturing, who is growing. Now, one of the things that is repeated, comes out more in the Greek than in English, is the phrase, all people. We have it translated as everyone. But it's repeated three times. See, Paul says they are warning all people, teaching all people, that they might present all people mature in Christ. This, there's a universal, universality, is that how you say it? Uh, to his ministry. And that means they are ministering to Jews, they are also ministering to Gentiles, uh, but it also means all people, meaning whether you are young, whether you are older, whether you are single, married, divorced, male or female, that all people in the church, all of them, all of us, must grow up together. And that's our takeaway today. We must work until we are all mature in Christ. We must serve one another. We can't be satisfied with our brothers and sisters, with ourselves being stagnant. You know, sometimes we think that someone's growing just because we see them every Sunday. We see them all the time. Uh, you know, they help out with Thanksgiving potluck. They, they've been ushering. Like, they're doing a lot. Maybe they even led a Bible study. And we take that for granted. Ah, they must be growing. That's, that's God's business. Um, but there's a study done a couple of years ago. I always bring it up. It's Bill Heibel's church in Chicago. Uh, they're a big mega church. It's called Willow Creek Community Church. They did a study, like a three-year study, on just the level of activity that their congregants were doing and their level of spiritual maturity. And what they found was that there was very little correlation. All these activities, all this busyness, all being involved in the church a lot worked really well only for the very young believers. After that, after that, it, it really didn't do very much. So we can't take that for granted. That, well, they've been in church, they're active, someone's following up with them. It's not necessarily true, they're not. They might not be growing. Um, but sometimes we think, you know, that's, that's, how we'll help, that's how we'll help them grow. We'll get them involved. We'll get them in Z Kids, because we really need people in Z Kids. Sorry, Jenny. Um, but how can we do this? You know, how can we do this practically? So I keep bringing up the pandemic. It's caused a lot of people in Zion who used to gather with us, it used to cause, a, it caused a lot of them to stop coming, to stop coming. Where have they gone? Where have they gone? And I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, Tiff, I'm tired, I'm frustrated. Yo, my kids are home because schools are closed. I just, I don't wanna talk to people anymore. I'm sick of Zoom. I'm sick of watching people online. I miss people. And guess what? Paul talks about that too. So the very last verse in this passage, he says, for this I toil, for this I struggle or strive for. Struggling, for this I struggle, which also means strive for, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. This is hard work. This is hard work. This is not easy. 
It was hard before the pandemic. It's even harder because of the pandemic. I can't invite people to my house. Um, it is hard work. Paul is striving for this. So we also have to strive for this. This is Jesus' work. And I'll tell you the truth. If you're watching me right now, if you're watching this message on YouTube, if you're with believers, you're probably in a better place than someone who has just opted out. They're done. Zoom, they're done. YouTube, they're done. They're just going to wait till the pandemic is over. You're in a better place. So remember the analogy I gave you earlier of God being united to us? I want you to think about us climbing a cliff together. And some of us professionals, they're a bit higher. You might not be as strong, but I guarantee you there's someone behind you. There's someone behind you that, has, that is struggling, that has slid back, that some of them have gone so far you can't even see them beyond the clouds. So I want you to think about, who did you think about when I brought this up? Who comes to your mind? Is it someone that you haven't seen in a while? Someone who used to gather in the house church and, and just kind of dropped out? Share that with someone. Share that with your house church. Share that with who you're watching this um, with. You know, Paul says he's struggling with God's energy that's working in him. We will get through this year. We will get through this pandemic. And my hope is that we do it together. And my hope is that we come out spiritually stronger, not weaker, that we pull each other up. We work until we are all mature in Christ. So just to conclude, thank you for tracking with me. Let's just remember our suffering is not something that's strange. Jesus suffered, and as he suffered, so his church will be. But we will also be raised up in glory with him. We have riches uh, of this glory that he has united with us. I uh, thank you, Paul, for helping to share this revelation that Jesus has come for all of us. And finally, I just encourage us to commit to the work that Paul was doing. We are all in this together. Let us all work, let us toil, let us struggle and strive until we're all mature in Christ. Thank you guys, God bless.